You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 412 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. This is Seth hosting this week, and I am joined by the ever-amazing Fosma Mood. Foz, how you doing? I am well. Good evening to you. Good evening as well. Uh, Stephen is absent this week, finally sleeping, uh, or... or I shouldn't say find the CP. He he claims that he slept every night in India, so I lost that bet. Uh, but now that he's home, he's decided to sleep a lot more. Yes. Now, did he connect in Seattle or San Francisco? He ended up choosing the Seattle trip with Jal okay. uh, for his trip home. So I can't wait to hear his thoughts on that. I saw the picture of Sushi in the Jal Lounge uh, from his trip, which I'm certainly jealous of. Oh, you are you have you heard the drama around refunding the other ticket? No. Uh, maybe we should let, let him talk about it next week. There was a point yeah, uh, Friday morning at 7.30 where he's texting me saying, can you try to cancel this ticket for me? <laughs> uh, cancel culture has gone too far, Faz. Uh, hey Um Jumping into some other more useful, perhaps, topics for this week. Air India and Vistara, both nominally owned by the Tata Group, uh, have decided to merge. And what's interesting is SQ is putting a bunch of cash into this. So Singapore Airlines owns 49% of Vistara and has, I think, since it was founded. So in some ways, it makes sense that they are participating in the merger and whatnot. What's interesting to me, and I, I've read the document a couple times now, it seems like only Singapore Airlines is putting up extra cash. Maybe. I guess the question is, if they own 49% of Vistara, and they're going to end up with 25%, are they putting in cash, or is it just a conversion? No, they are putting in new cash, and it's like 260 million US as part of the conversion. So, like, right, their, their state gets diluted, and Air India's bigger, and, 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 and. But not only that, but then there's also potentially... I think an additional like $600 million investment if Air India needs additional capitalization down the line with after the merger and after the first $250 million is spent. And from what I could, you know, again, I mostly just skimmed the document and I'm not a you know investment banker, but it was something about how Vistara would convert some of its uh like some of its equity to shares, I guess that would be sold to help raise the money. But then Singapore would be expected to put up new cash to avoid getting diluted out of its position or something like that. So yeah, it's, it's a very interesting situation to me in terms of Singapore airlines putting up extra cash. Um, then again, they have the cash. It would seem they actually are relatively liquid and are paying off their debts and, you know, things seem to be going well business-wise but i guess the first question is how are they so flush with cash just coming out of the pandemic i some of it is loans okay um but they're bound and let's say they have a balance sheet that shows assets not necessarily again but also some debt or you know it's it's not necessarily that they have more uh they have plenty of cash lying around but also plenty of debt and so it's choosing how to spend some of it i think and timing on what the loans are but um, and you know, there's there's money to be made. They're making rev. They're they're bringing in decent revenue. They're, with the exception of China, a lot of the 
that part of the world is opening back up and they're seeing an uptick in business and transit through Singapore is working. So, uh, and, they, and they think there's that much of a return to invest in India, invest that much in India. The, and, and I think we've talked about this in the past, um, on the show and I don't remember exactly when, but there was, uh, a conversation sort of about why would, uh, Singapore want to take traffic from India and which, which directions go useful and, you know, things like that. It was a little bit of getting passengers, I think, traveling east out of India into South Asia and into, or into Southeast Asia and then further afield into Oceania or up towards Japan and even some of it across the United States versus grab, letting sort of India take that traffic to Europe and Air India focusing on Europe and maybe also North America. So there's a little bit of that in play, but, um, you know, Singapore Airlines has long sought partnerships to grow beyond just the Singapore hub. Yeah, but you don't necessarily need to invest for a partnership. This is uh, way above and beyond that. Uh, yes, of course. You can have, there's all levels and types of partnerships, right? If you look at some of what I would arguably call the more successful or the more significant partnerships in recent years, though, they've involved an equity stake, right? And so Delta has done it and lost money in some cases, but not always. Um, obviously, right at the beginning of COVID, they invested a bunch of money and then lost it all when LATAM declared, not all, but they and lost when LATAM declared bankruptcy. Um, they do still have an equity stake there now, but Qatar Airways has taken a stake in a lot of its recent partners. United has taken stakes in a lot of its recent partners. Uh, and similar to Delta has lost in some of those cases thanks to bankruptcy filings. Um, but is that more to gain the partnership or to help manage or dictate terms? Probably a little bit of both, but I would lean towards the latter. In a lot of cases, it also comes with a seat on the board. So that certainly helps dictate terms. <laughs> um, but, you know, I... I mean, th there's definitely a lot going on there. I I think that when you have an equity ownership stake in a partnership, there certainly is potential for increased cooperation. Now, that said, there have also been scenarios like Lufthansa Group at one point invested and I think owned like 15% of JetBlue. It was 10 or 15%. It was a significant stake and okay. did nothing with it. Like right. they, they did it just to make money or hoped to make money. I don't remember if they actually profited or lost on the deal, but... They, and they sold it uh, since, it was, if I remember correctly. But, you know, I think that there are definitely opportunities for partnerships like that. Um, and the Lufthansa one didn't make sense from like a traffic feed perspective because they had the joint venture with United. So why would you push traffic to a third party partner rather than a joint venture? But um, with Air India and Vistara and then Singapore, I think that it'll be a tighter integration and, you know, certainly some potential there. It'll be interesting to see, I mean, I'd be interested to see how they manage the labor, merging of the labor camps, given that Air India has been struggled in that regard, in the, that regards in the past. You mean specifically the Air India and Vistara merger? Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. So Air India has had terrible labor challenges basically forever. That's just the polite way to put it. And it wasn't that polite. So, Or are they just merging so that Air India can get access to the 3789s Vistara has to borrow parts from? <laughs> Too soon. I mean, I flew on one of Air India seven eight sevens like 
eight months after it entered service and it was already looking beat to hell. So not too soon at all, uh, <laughs> in my opinion. But yeah, that's a, that's a fun one. That, that, I think it'll be interesting to see, right? I mean, arguably both of them are the two main full service carriers in India. There's also theoretically Jet Airways coming back, although there have been, we'll say, debates over how that funding is coming to life and whether it's the right amount of money in the right places right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it, like, they, Jet has said, you know, we've met all of our obligations. Government, please let us start flying. And the government's like, "Where's show me the money, basically. Where, where's the rest of your money? And they're like, oh, we have this other bank account over here from some of our sponsors. They'll give it to us when we need it. <laughs> and the government keeps saying, no, no, but where's the money? So, not great, for sure. The Nigerian prince is holding their money? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think it's a little better than that, but not much, shall we say. Um, but speaking of Singapore uh, and partnerships and weird investments, they've also announced a deal with uh, Thai Airways. That's surprising. Uh, a, a new strategic partnership. Um, now, would you invest in Thai Airways or Air India right now? Oof. I mean... Thinking of either reminds me of all the the old uh, Richard Branson quote that if you want to be a millionaire, start as a billionaire and buy an airline. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I this one is even more surprising to me. This one does not mention an ownership stake, um, and so perhaps that won't be uh, part of this one. But. Um, they're basically looking at, again, trying to find another hub that they can sort of grab uh, capacity and influence in. Uh, and then, you know, I think the it's, it's, you know, quote unquote, wide ranging commercial collaboration. And so what does that include if it's, you know, lounge access and ground service handling and whatever? OK, fine. Sort of some efficiencies there. But then loyalty and passenger experience I mean, those are areas where the two programs are vastly different right um you know will singapore airlines be able to help thai airways understand that you don't buy two of every aircraft type for example oh, why not exactly i mean it, it's, it's it makes for a fun collection on the ramp you have all these shapes and sizes i mean maybe this is a sympathetic partnership based on the fact that they were the only two or three forty-five carriers, <laughs> they weren't the only ones. Who else had the three forty-five hundred? Oh, excuse me, Air Canada had them for a little while. I say they were the only ones trying to fly them ultra long haul to uh, from Southeast Asia to the United States. But they were they were the last two at least. Yeah, it was a, it was one of the like I feel like some of them eventually ended up in Nigeria also. Sure. were flying. I thought like actually using the service, but whatever. I thought a bunch of them got scrapped. Yeah, I don't know. There, there were there were some other weird like Eric Air maybe. I thought flew them, tried to fly them in the United States at one point. I don't know. There was some weird shit going on. But anyway, the Thai Singapore partnership. Like, what I'm saying is Singapore's airlines has been very busy. Um, after sitting on the sidelines and waiting for things to recover. So, who the heck knows? Um, not on the notes here, but did you see Air Canada launched its Vancouver Bangkok service this week? I did not. Yeah, they had announced it previously. It finally launched operations. The uh, and speaking of very long flights to from uh, Southeast Asia to North America, it is the only currently operating Bangkok to North America 
aircraft. It's a 787. That's exciting. Yeah. I think it's three days a week, something like that. So go get that line. Uh, I have to assume that premium reward availability is limited. You know, Air Canada is surprisingly uh, interesting as far as the reward inventory. I've been able to find Vancouver to Brisbane. Wow. Yeah. In the northern winter. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, call Scott and ask him what he's doing, I guess. Uh, Actually having dinner with him in a few weeks. Yeah. Well, you could ask him in person. Don't do, you know, don't do it like I did with one airline. Be like, why do you release a word availability like this? This is stupid. Like, no, no, we do it on purpose. It's like, okay, well then pretend I didn't ask. Um, anyway, uh, Delta Sky clubs crowded. Well, I mean, I think we've all seen the pictures, uh, of people waiting like they're at Disneyland. Yeah. First of all, it's, it's just an airport lounge. Why would you wait in line? But putting that aside, uh, Delta has come up with a new plan to help reduce the crowding. And that plan is focus on credit card holders. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's kind of surprising because they're basically telling elites that you don't matter. Yes. This one significant benefit that, and I have called it a Sky Team Elite Plus benefit. I have been told that the Alliance doesn't require access to lounges on home metal it's only on the partners and so that it perhaps i have misstated that it's a sky team benefit to have lounge access as sky team elite plus when flying on your own airline internationally i my, my counterpoint to that is that access benefit was introduced by the airlines as part of their alliances and if it you know looks like a duck and quacks like a duck so are they anyway. saying are are others saying that if you are an elite plus, you are not entitled to lounge access? Intern, like an Air France person is not entitled to access to an Air France lounge? Specifically as a, uh alliance requirement, that is the argument they're making. And while that may be true, it still doesn't align with how and when those benefits arrived, certainly at the U.S. carriers that have them today. Well, and it's, it's definitely a takeaway, right? It's not... Yeah. Either way, you're, these these customers are losing big. And so the loss is if you are a gold, uh, platinum, or diamond medallion flying in economy class internationally, you no longer get lounge access. Uh, on top of that, basic economy tickets, you no longer get lounge access, um, which I guess makes so, is sort of the same thing. But like you, I, maybe you can't get in even as a member. There's something about if you are choosing a membership as part of your like medallion benefits it's going to get more expensive they're actually charging more just upfront cash if you're buying memberships if you want to buy a day pass or a guest membership it's additional it's extra now it's go- the cost is going up but if you're a credit card holder it's the same i'm surprised they're still paying for selling day passes yeah um i did i did read that it's it's for diamonds right the diamonds that pick the lounge access as their benefit i think right. it was previously two it used two of the choices. Now it's three. Right. Um, but what is it? I mean, okay, so you reduce, like, I, I this is what I don't understand about the this Delta situation. You know, I, I, I know we talked about, a little, about it a little bit offline. They've had some a fair bit of growth. But the other two airlines have probably had similar growth, maybe not the same. But you don't see this problem anywhere else. At United American are the other two you're referencing yeah. there. And yeah, I... I 
I agree. I would say, and like, what what I don't know is, are the other two as aggressively and actively pushing their lounge credit card partnerships, and are they as as successful at it? And I get the emails from Americans still trying to pitch me on their lounge card. I surprisingly don't get them from United, but I may have unsubscribed from whichever of the many categories that one's in. Uh, so that one's a little harder to tell, but I, I think that Delta, you know, every time you look at it and I, I posted actually a bunch of the quotes from Delta earnings releases over the past years, the last, you know, eight quarterly earnings calls, they have been explicit about how many new premium, uh, sky miles members they're adding and how much they're getting in co-brand card signups. And the value of the co-brand signups comes especially from the premium cards. And, and so I, I understand what you're saying. Like, why are they doing it? Why is their number so much you know disparate from what American and United have? And I don't know the why, but I'm not so sure that they're not. I mean, I would say they are simply because you look at the lines at some of these clubs. Like 40, yeah. 50, 100 deep. It's JFK is the worst. And I mean, hell, they had to pick a separate line for actual premium passengers. Right, but this like even United at Newark with one when they only had the one C one club for so many for for all these years wasn't that bad. Yeah, right. And the only thing that I can think of that's particularly different here is the Amex Platinum because yeah. United and Amex, United and American don't have a generic credit card that gives access into those lounges. You have to have the co-branded card. Which really does make you wonder how many people have an Amex Platinum card. Way too many. I remember that was such a big deal to get. And like, I mean, the cost of having it's gone up. It's in like six fifty or seven fifty now. It's six ninety five. It, I personally don't think it's worth it. Right? The yeah. Amex, in particular, I feel has really, out of all the credit card vendors, has gotten really hard to use your benefits. Right? Everything is a jump, a hop, and a jump to use a benefit now. Whereas like the Chase or the Capital One cards, it's it's a pretty straight and easy benefit. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Capital One card a little bit more in the uh, bonus section. So stick around for that if you're interested. But um, I, I agree. I actually got the, uh, I think there was a targeted 150,000 point uh, Amex Platinum sign up. And like that's, it's a lot of points. I, I get the value of that. It was a $6,000 spend. And I just, plus the annual fee wasn't waived. And I just couldn't pull the trigger. I couldn't justify it. I mean, Amex, I think, is getting a little desperate. I just got an offer, and this is crazy, for 300,000 points. What? Yeah. That I would actually consider. For, for, for an, a business platinum. Wow. That's that's a lot. Y- yeah. <laughs> yeah. 6,000 spend? No, it's like 30,000 spend. That's the oh. difference. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, that's one I wouldn't be able to reach. So I could try, I guess, but. Anyway, um, yeah, the, uh, the lounge thing is crazy. And I mean, we talked last week and you, you weren't on the show last week, right? But we talked about there's a statistic Delta was saying they were adding 70, 70 million milers a day this year. But like, is it not like how many of them are traveling internationally? Like how many of them could be trying to get lounge access at any given point in time? Right. But that like some of that will roll over. But as a million miler in Delta, on million miler in Delta, all you get is silver status. You're not getting right. the lounge on that, right? I, I guess I I am interpolating that as 
most of those people probably aren't just walking away. And so there's going to be some, and some of that will be not the same level, but there'll be some level of additional people qualifying for the higher tiers, 2 million and 3 million. So as you, when you qualify for 2 million, you do get gold and then you start getting lounge access. Well, you used to, <laughs> um, anyway, they, they, it, that's a lot of people qualifying for annual status every year or for lifetime status every, or every day and every year. So anyway, uh, on top of that Delta, I guess it's going to need a lot more credit card signups to pay their pilots. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, uh, the pilots are getting a deal. I I'm impressed, you know, it's a tentative agreement has to be voted on still for, uh, ratification, but 34% raise over four years. Um, I think it's something like 20% to start or 18% to start. Um, they have a, this is my favorite. They have a clause in there that guarantees them 1% better than American or United. <laughs> so now what happens if American United add a similar clause? Infinite. In, it's an infinite, I guess it's an infinite scaling. I was thinking the same thing. I'm glad you got there. Uh, United can add a 1% and then, so when United signs and Delta goes up 1%, but then United goes up 1% and then just seesaw back and forth to infinity. Cool. Okay. There's got to be some, I mean, obviously I, I would assume that there's some, yeah, there, there has to be some for that, but some trigger switch or something. Um, and there's a lot of interesting other bits in it, like, you know, guaranteed premium pay if you get rerouted. If a pilot gets rerouted and passes back through their home base, they immediately have to be switched back to their original routing or released with pay. Wait, what? Yeah. So if you have to transit home? So like, you, you know, you've got your whatever, your four-day trip and you're bouncing around the United States and you get switched in an outstation and you're Atlanta-based and you weren't going to get back to Atlanta until day four, but with the new schedule, you get back to Atlanta on day three, Yeah, you are guaranteed to be either pick back up whatever your original day four was from Atlanta or, uh, which I don't know how you do because you wouldn't be in Atlanta anymore, or released with pay. I don't get that one. It's great news for the pilot though, right? I mean, because basically you get released with pay as soon as you get home. Yeah. Um, now that, that's a good one. Um, but that's gotta be, that has to be a scheduling nightmare because now you have to, avoid, from the airlines perspective, you have to avoid to... letting them transit home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's some other benefits like long call out as an 18 hour guarantee and some other good stuff like that for the pilots. The other, one of the other bits though, that I found super interesting, there's two separate clauses in like the summary document that's floating around on the internet right now. Um, Basically, one of them is, says something about like uh, established medical freedoms, which is to say no vaccination mandates. Okay. Uh, and it, that's in like the work rules section, I think. And then in the healthcare section, there's a comment that says uh, any pandemic related sick time doesn't count against your regular sick time accrual. Okay. So are we planning another pandemic? No, but you know, you may as well have it in the contract, right? But also, it's like, we don't have to get vaccinated, but if we get sick for not being vaccinated, uh, it doesn't count against us. Is an interesting, interesting. I, I'm impressed that they managed to negotiate that. I'm amazed that Delta's willing to agree to these some of these things. Well, I mean, I think they don't have a choice. They will, this came out. What it, where today is Saturday, right? So this came out late Friday. 
I'll be interested to see how Wall Street reacts. Right on the plus side, like not having risk of a strike or any other disruption hanging over the head of the company is huge. But this is going to be an expensive contract. Their costs are going to go up significantly from this. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I mean, so, and they're not going to absorb any of that. It'll just get past the individuals, which makes you wonder what's going to what is going to happen as we go into this economic downturn. Yeah, it, it, real risk there. Uh, certainly for the profits. Um, United also still negotiating with its pilots. Uh, not quite as far along in reaching an agreement as Delta, obviously, but announced two new crew bases for the first time in 20 years. Which was surprising uh, after the rush they went through closing all these bases. Yeah. Uh, Orlando and Las Vegas are the new ones. I, I give credit to Brian Summers uh, for his comment uh Airline pilots feel entitled to tax-free living and therefore uh, new bases in Nevada and Florida make sense uh, for knowing no state income taxes in both of those uh, states. The Florida one, I think there was a statistic that 1,100 of United's pilots live in Florida. Yeah, and I heard something that Orlando, the Orlando base might stretch to Tampa. Yes. Potential to flex to Tampa. Which, not, not confirmed yet. And it's they're like an hour, hour and a half apart. It's not so bad. No, not at all. And I mean, Orlando makes sense because there's also maintenance space there. Yeah. And, and a ton of lift, right? I mean, you, you've got enough flights in and out of there that it's nice to hang. And I think United said there's also, there's historically at least was a flight attendant base there, maybe? I think there was. I don't yeah. know if there still is, but there was. Yeah. So, and, and the maintenance. And it's just, if you're going to do this, they, they've been explicit. These are not going to be hubs. Right, they're, they're, the company is not trying to establish them as you know places where passengers are going to connect, but they've got so many flights in and out on any given day. It makes sense to try to have them be more reliable with passenger or with pilots based there. Mm-hmm. And you know, if the pilots live there, why not? Yeah, oh, that's great. Uh, I was going to try to pull up a list of how many daily flights United has from those. Air Force. So I said origin MCO or LAS for the month of December. How many flights a day do you think United has in each? Uh, Orlando, I would say probably about ninety uh, outbound or inbound and outbound uh, departures. I would say somewhere between ninety and one hundred and ten daily. Yeah, I picked monthly, so I got to divide by thirty. No, you're you're way high. Orlando has eleven hundred and fifty three departures in the month of December, so that's forty departures a day. Okay. And Las Vegas is just under that, still over a thousand though. So I would bet, certainly from a non hub perspective, those are the two largest. Yeah, I don't know what would be Boston would be the only other one that I would think would be close to that. Uh, Boston is scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Nine hundred seventy five. It's close. Um, but yeah, those are definitely, and then as non-hubs and you get to a hub, like Newark has 11,000, Denver has 12,500 for the month. Dulles is only 5,700. Dulles is a small hub. It is become yeah. the hublet. Uh, well, Los Angeles is a small hub. Los Angeles only has 3,000 monthly departures, so about a hundred a day. That's because there's not much regional operations in LA anymore. Yeah. San Diego was bigger than I expected, or 800 for the month of December. I believe that. There's a ton of flights to 
uh, San Francisco. Yeah. Tampa at 755 is also pretty big. Toronto, 661. Going to go ahead and call that the largest international station. Even though I'm just skimming the document here. Anyway, um, I should stop reading DO and get back to our topic list. Um, you added this in here. United getting potentially some more 787s too. Yeah, they're, they might be ordering 70s in. They're, again, mulling the idea of buying 350s, you know, those 45. Hey, they, they don't need to buy more. They've already got an order. Well, excuse me. She pick it, uh, selecting the 45 that they've had on order for, what, 15 years now? Yeah. Finally deciding to set a delivery date and potentially moving forward? I I, I just, just I don't know why they don't uh, just take them. Uh, or but, cancel the order one way or the other. Or but. cancel the order. Or, better yet. Take delivery and then sell them to Akbar. <laughs> but would he take them? I think he's already he's pissed enough he wouldn't take them at this point, which is hard to believe. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, I guess, you know, there are seven, the seven eights, the seven sixes are probably what need to be replaced the most, right? Right. It was seven six three. Some of them are from the early 90s and the seven six fours are probably late 90s, early 2000s. So they've probably got to be approaching 20 plus years. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely time to replace them. The, the problem you keep running into is the 787 is way too much plane for a 7.6 replacement. Yes. Right? It's like, okay, the, the engines are 25% more efficient and the plane is 40% heavier. So that 25% efficiency gets wiped out. And like, great if we're doing ultra long haul because it doesn't get wiped out. But if you're doing transatlantics from the East Coast, like... It's a very heavy plane for that, relatively speaking. Agreed. Agreed. But there's there's nothing else. Yeah. Short of ordering 330s. Neos, yeah. Which, who knows when the delivery would be. They could order all 330 800s because, you know, there's like six of those in the world right now. I mean, it would be a good fit for the 764s given how rare those were. (laughs) Well played. Well played. Um... But it'll be interesting. I mean, they they need to do something, and I mean, they have an exit strategy for the seven fives, but they don't have one for the seven sixes. Yeah, agreed. And they're, I just keep coming back to they're like there is no good exit strategy for a seven six right now. No, but I I mean the question is if they get a deal, is it worth the penalty? Yes, right. And that's the that's the big question, right? And at this point, since Boeing seems to be able to deliver them again, yeah, I'm, right. So like we fixed the problems with shipping gaps and whatever else that was causing deliveries to not happen. Um, although Boeing also recently flew in a bunch of engineers from Seattle to uh, South Carolina to help fix the line. Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean, the question is, would you know, I buy 788s or 9s? I think it's got to be 9s. But is that too many seats? It is, but the 8... I mean, they own, they own some 8s already. They could add to that fleet for the smaller plane. It's just... The nine is sort of the, I don't want to say perfect, but the nominal design size for the 787 family. And the eight's a shrink and the ten's a stretch. And historically, the airline industry has done terrible with shrinks. I mean, they just, the, economically, they don't work as well. I'm not doubting that at all. Uh, I mean, AA seems to be doing pretty well with the 788s out of Philly. But by which mean they have a bunch of them? How much? I mean, but they're filling them. They seem to be yeah. lo- loads. Do you seem to be these? It seems to be the right plane. Yeah, I just again, I got I, I wonder how economical, 
economically how well it does. And I'm sure it's, you know, sort of fine. But dude driving down the street in Pittsburgh in the middle of the night with no lights on. That's cool. Um, thoughts from my hotel window. Uh, Air France, first class rewards. Bye-bye. None, none for us. Not that they were easy to find in the first place, but uh, the airline has notified members of the La Premier, or excuse me, of the Flying Blue, excuse me, the Flying Blue program that the, thanks to its new and improved La Premier cabin, first class, the airline will be updating the restrictions on using Flying Blue Miles to access this highly sought after cabin. As of January 1st, La Premier Redemption will become a benefit exclusive to Flying Blue Platinum and Ultimate members. I don't even know what Ultimate is, but let's assume it's like Platinum and better. Uh, This is my favorite part, though. Quote, in addition, a maximum of one reward seat will be made available per flight. End quote. You cannot fly on rewards with family anymore. In first. Which, you know, some routes I would understand, right? There's probably routes like, say, San Francisco, New York from LA where they probably sell a fair number of seats but other routes maybe to Bangkok or South America or some other yeah. places where they don't like well so true fair but like the new cabin I think it's only four seats right mm-hmm. only the one row and like yeah. and it's only on some planes and so not going to be to all markets I I, I sort of get, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from. I mean, you've got all these seats, you can't sell them. You may as well at least get some value out of them for points. But um, I, I, in some ways, I respect the decision to say, you know what? First class is first class and it's truly premium. And if you want it, bring bring your checkbook, bring a credit card um, versus, yeah, you got points, fine. Those Like, even at the prices Flying Blue charged, it wasn't always easy on points, but you know, you could transfer in from a partner and this and that and like sort of game the system. I, I almost respect saying them saying, no, premium is premium. We're not doing this anymore for first class. I'd agree with you if we were still in the world of fixed reward charts, but in this world of dynamic pricing and where you're just, you just jacked the cost up. Well, but, and where you're earning miles based on what you've paid for the ticket, like you've already adjusted for that. Yeah. I've spent my million dollars. Let me have my little reward. Yeah. But then I, I, I mostly, I see where you're coming from. I could get behind that. Has Air France, I guess they have fully, sh- not entirely fully, but they've more or less shifted to dynamic reward pricing. Um, and definitely on the earnings side, they, they were. Yeah, on the earnings side, yeah. Uh, and on the redemption side, they're, they've always had a sort of crazy tiers in some of their, or, you know, past the basic level. Um, there is still a base level, but it does certainly scale up. I, I see what you're saying. I could get behind that. I wonder if this is basically them saying, like, we don't want to have a four million point reward. Maybe. Or something like that. So, I mean, but you're not giving people easy access to it anymore. Right. You're not earning miles like you used to be able to 10 years ago in any of these programs. So there is a much heavier cost burden. Not by flying, but you are by credit card. But even my credit card, aside from the bonuses, you're still spending a lot of money to make that kind of mileage. Yes, you are spending a lot of money, but I would say it's it's easier now than 10 years ago. Yeah, but the airlines are selling. That's how they're stay, all staying afloat is by selling those miles. Yes. So it is the challenge becomes if you make it too hard to use those miles, people will stop earning those miles. I, I understand that theory, and I agree with you in theory. We haven't seen it happen yet. So 
the question is when it happens, will it be a true collapse or will it be a slow retreat? I think it'll be a slow retreat. I mean, I don't earn, I don't spend money on any airline credit card anymore, hotel credit card. Right. But you use cards that allow transfers in, which gets them more or less the same rates. Right. But only when I transfer them, right? They don't get anything until. Fair. But, you know, when you transfer them, you're not transferring 3,000, you're transferring. It's, yeah, they don't get little drips of cash every month, but they do get, you know, arguably net total the same amount when the time comes. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Like, think of how many frequent, like, well, there's the maybe not because maybe because you have more fungible points, you went somewhere else. Yeah. Like, I use most of my points for uh, revenue tickets. Right, so I rarely transfer them into a program. I just go by use the, use the point to, to cash conversion when you find a cheap enough premium ticket. Yeah, or any ticket when I need to buy it. Yeah. Right? So yeah, and I find more value out of that, and that's why like and like think about it. Right, United on a United card and American card or Delta card. As soon as you get those points, they've gotten their cash. They they've gotten the conversion from the cash. Right, it's Amex no longer. Those points might sit there for years. Yes. So there, if you're tra- if you're doing it a, if you're doing it quote unquote right on a transfer in card a Chase or an Amex or whatever that you're transferring it and immediately redeeming. Exactly. So they don't get to sell in the oh, yeah. I mean it's paper money in some ways, but yeah. It's paper money, but as over from the way the banks buy miles, right? As that behavior changes, where fewer and fewer people are using the co-branded cards. They're going to buy less in amount of mi- uh, pre-buy less miles and less points. Yeah, but that's fair. Well, again, it'll be interesting to see how that shifts. I agree with you in general that the dynamics are shifting. I just don't know how quickly and how much. Only time will tell. Yeah. Um, what else we got here? Uh, Norse, who is definitely not just another long haul fly Norwegian, uh, has announced routes or not, maybe not announced, but in, expected to fly uh, Dublin to Boston and JFK, Gatwick to Boston and Dulles, and Los Angeles and Fort Lauderdale and Orlando, Paris to JFK. Uh, some interesting, uh, real interesting options there. Uh, looks like Gatwick will be its largest operation as of next summer. So they're not Norwegian, you say? <laughs> well, my favorite is still uh, some of our good friends down in the D.C. area are like, no, they're not, because Norwegian never bothered to show up in the D.C. area, and these guys are coming to Dulles, so there's definitely a different operation. Okay. Um, also, they're still trying to make Berlin work, which at one point I was going to be on a flight to Berlin tonight, actually, the Norse JFK to Berlin flight tonight. Uh, that trip fell apart when I had to go to Pittsburgh for work. But anyway, uh, yeah. Good times. Good times. How long do we think this one will last? Through summer 23, certainly. Um, I think they got enough to make it to at least that sum- this coming year. Uh, we'll see what happens after that. Right? If they make enough money during this, they're one of those airlines. They got to make a lot of money during the summer to ride it out in the winter. Uh, and they've got funding, at least for now. But anyway, it's some real interesting transatlantic routes coming along uh, with the Low-cost carrier, long call. We'll see. I mean, it's good to see Dulles get some competition in London. Yeah. It's just Gatwick, but yeah. It'll be, it's still London, right? It is. Well, for most, I think enough people will say yes, of course it's fine. Uh, 
final topic we got uh, for the main show here. More more thoughts on potential 737 MAX certification. Uh, this week, coming up when this episode is going to be released, we are expecting... I guess the episode comes out on Thursday. So on Monday, we were expected that the Defense Authorization Act will have been introduced. And they're hoping to get it approved pretty quickly. And it... Because enough of the Boeing, you know, enough of that money for the defense is gets spent with Boeing. There's an expectation that a, I think Senator Cantwell has indicated she's going to include a amendment, an amendment that says Boeing can get its extension on the MAX 7 and MAX 10, uh, not having the extra indicators or like the updated alert system that would be theoretically required for new certifications after this year but only if boeing agrees to cover the costs for the optional uh other sort of alerts they think it's remover that allowing the staker shake to be staker shaker stick yeah to be silenced and uh a third aoa sensor angle of attack sensor somehow i think it's a virtual one okay uh, those are optional now. Europe has basically said they're required. You, the FAA did not require them, and Transport Canada also requires them. And so, basically, uh, this would essentially, even though it's not required by the FAA to get the MAX back in the air, would force Boeing to pay to have it activated on all of the MAX 8s and 9s as well. Huh. So it's not it's not a full transition to the updated spec of what uh you know a new modern plane would have required, but it gets most of the way there. Exciting. So there's still a lot of pushback though. Um and it's you know gonna be introduced as an amendment, so who the hell knows which way it'll go. Well, again, only time will tell. Indeed. Um these things. Anything else you want to talk about before we jump into the bonus section? No, nothing for me this week. Alrighty then. Well, to our listeners, thank you as always for coming along on this rambling wreck we call a podcast. Uh, if you got thoughts or comments, feel free to reach out to us uh, more dots more dot com or at dots lines on Twitter while it still uh, seems to vaguely exist. Um, and we will uh, get into some stuff about Airbus and environmental bits, JetBlue, some Cap One credit cards as previously promised. And uh, some JFK terminal changes in the bonus episode, uh, which is available to our Patreon subscribers. You can find details on that in the show notes. Um, And we will talk to you soon. Take care. See ya.